Guys, if you're anything like me, looking at maps has always been a huge part of my preparation and execution for my outdoor adventures. I have been using GoHunt digital maps on desktop and mobile for quite some time now. I have used these maps for years for my in-depth e-scouting tactics and my methods of using offline maps during the hunt. Well, now I'm happy to report GoHunt maps now covers all 50 states. There's two ways to get the GoHunt map. You can sign up for a GoHunt Insider membership and get the benefits of all the draw odds, harvest statistics, unit breakdowns, strategy articles, as well as access to the 50 state maps, plus savings on gear for being an Insider member. Like right now, they're doing double points. For an Insider membership, sign up now at GoHunt.com, use the JScott promo code, and get a $50 GoHunt Gear Shop gift card just for signing up. You can also just sign up for a GoHunt Explorer membership, and that gives you access to 50 states for 50 bucks. Use the JScott promo code. Guys, also, don't forget to get a 10% discount on gear at the Go Hunt Gear Shop by using the J. Scott promo code. You can also reach out to my friend Cody Nelson of 20 plus years, either by phone or by text, 602-399-3699. Make sure you tell him I sent you. I want to thank GoHunt.com for their loyal sponsorship of my podcast. We're over 815 episodes in, and they've been with me for, since the beginning. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting for their sponsorship of this podcast. They provide the gear that I use on all of my hunting adventures. You can go to the Kuyu website directly, kuiu.com, order directly. They're a direct-to-consumer company. Uh, they make the best gear in the in the hunting industry, and I've been a loyal supporter of theirs for years. Also, phonescope.com. Go to phonescope.com. Use the J. Scott or jscott22 promo code and you're going to get a 10% discount at Phonescope. Guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for, for supporting me. If you have any questions or you'd like to send me a comment, the best way to do that is on my Instagram account, at jscottoutdoors. Again, let's get right to this episode and thanks for your support. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is your guest host, Cliff Gray. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Robert Arrington, who is well known for his Deer Meat for Dinner YouTube channel. At this point, Robert actually, ha actually has 3.15 million subscribers on his channel, and it appears to me that it's continuing to grow rapidly. He's, he does a lot of hunting and fishing adventures all over the country and world, but it seems to me that a lot of the content on his, uh, on his channel is focused there locally around his home in Jupiter, Florida. Is that, is that right, Robert? Yeah, you're pretty pretty spot on there. I love to travel, but I love my home. Jupiter, Florida is my home. Born and raised here in South Florida. And uh doesn't matter what I'm doing. As long as it's outside, I'm pretty stoked. For sure. And I uh, I actually reached out to Robert because listening to all Jay's past podcasts, Jay actually interviewed Robert back in 2016. And I listened to it a couple of days and it was a couple of days ago, actually. And it was really interesting to hear because at that point, I think he roughly had around 150,000 followers on YouTube. So uh, yeah, it's been six or seven years, but talk about growing super rapidly. Um, and that interview is one of my favorite episodes of the podcast. So uh, any of the listeners out there, you should go out and, and check it out. And just so you guys know, I'm admittedly a huge fan of Robert's and the Deer Feet Deer meet for dinner channel and the thing that's funny about it robert is my kids are too your youtube channel is one of my one of my kids favorite uh channel it's like the one channel that we watch to watch together as a family so i'm going to ask you some questions about that because uh it's intriguing to me my kids have been around the outdoors their entire life and in some ways i don't think in their young kids they're all below 10 years old but i don't think that i've done a great job of getting them excited about hunting and fishing but they love your show. So we'll, we'll dig in that a little bit more. And just in general, I think, you know, my personal opinion on, on your channel, Robert, is that everything in it seems so authentic. And I think that's why I like it. And I think that's why it's grown so much. So I encourage all the listeners, if you don't watch his YouTube channel, I think you guys would, would uh, love it to go, go check it out. So uh, Robert, go ahead and give us a little brief intro on your end. If you have anything that I missed and uh, you want to mention. Yeah, no, you, you pretty much nailed it there. The funny thing is, I remember clearly doing the, the podcast with Jay Scott, and I didn't remember how long ago that was, but the, the fact that it was six years ago and I had 150,000 subscribers, 
like, wow, I, crazy. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that, but I don't really think about numbers of subscribers. I only think about one person. That's the person that's watching my video or talking to me or hanging out. I just think about that one person and I'm a pretty straightforward guy. Um, I can actually get really fired up and I can be really laid back. <laughs> it's all dependent on the moment. Um, YouTube, I don't look to make content. I just, this is the life that I live. This is the life that I've wanted to live and prayed for my whole life. And so we just film what we do and the content is, is part of that. Now, granted, we do make YouTube videos, but I, you never see me making like stupid challenges. I'm not into, I killed the biggest or I, I, you know, caught my biggest or Man, I'm still there having a good time trying to do my best and then enjoy the, the outdoors and then learn as much as I can. I'm always inspired by the hunters west of the Mississippi, how they inherently are better marksmen with a rifle than everyone I know east of the Mississippi. Now, I'm sure there are exceptions to that rule, but... I love seeing all the different hunters and all the different fishermen from all over the country, how there's these unique, specialized tendencies in every area. But if you look at hunting and fishing as a whole, it's all the same with just these unique tendencies in, in, in each area, you know? And um, I love traveling around the country, meeting new hunters, meeting new fishermen and hearing their take on hunters from other areas. So it's nice being on the phone with you. I know you guys crush it out west. And uh, hopefully I get the invite one day to come out and spend some time with you in person and make a video where I can, where I can have you on my show. Yeah, of course, man. I, I would, uh, that, would be, uh, that would be awesome. I think you hit on some stuff there that I wanted to get into Robert and I find it, I find it uh, really interesting. So, you know, my, the last decade of my life in terms of my operating business, it was very like elk and mule deer centric. And I think that us as Western hunters, um, not everybody, but a segment of that world, and it could be marketing around it or who knows, I don't, I don't really know, but we put up like that kind of, you know, the hunting that we're interested in and the pedestal. And a lot of people only focus on that one thing. And one thing I notice on your channel, Robert, is like you go into depth of like a lot of little niche, you know, uh, you know, uh, hunting, fishing, kind of little foraging things that nobody's even seen before. And there's like authentic energy when you're learning about it. Like I was watching one recently with uh, coconut crabs. You're chasing coconut crabs. Is that what they're called? Yeah, coconut crab. They're yeah, the and real name copper crab they're out in the south pacific and central pacific on islands okay gotcha and i could just tell like oh he's really interested in like learning how these guys are catching these things and i think that uh you know i i grew up that way it wasn't i only hunted mule deer i only hunted elk like i hunted everything and then you know and then in certain times of the season when it wasn't uh hunt, a hunting season we we went mushroom hunting hunting or you know whatever there's a lot of different things you did I think there's a lot of value in that, man. Like from somebody who wants to uh, go ahead, Robert. No, I was just saying hundred percent. Why do you think trappers are such good hunters? Why do you think people who hunt small game inherently become really good big game hunters? Because man, it all works together. There's symmetry in the outdoors. You know, I don't care whether you're archery hunter or rifle hunter or whatever hunter, you know, you start out looking at the wind. If, if you're a hunter and the first thing you look at isn't the wind, then you're kind of trying to run to second base before you go to first base. And um, once you, as, you know, I have, I'm not a, a great trapper. I can go out and trap a coon maybe, but I'm not a great trapper. But I spend time with great trappers and I love watching their attention to detail, figuring out how everything is working together catching them, you know, catching the predators that are hunting for the same game we're hunting for, um, understanding, you know, how squirrels are in certain trees that are, that have all the acorns, have all the ripe acorns in them right now. Understand if we can find the squirrels guaranteed, we're going to find the deer and turkeys also, you know, uh, 
it's um it's just really unique when you when you see how it all works together and uh that's what that's what really inspires me is to learn as much about it as i can so that whenever i'm in any situation and it doesn't matter if i'm in a in a sawgrass swamp here in south florida or if i'm the edge of a mountain out west man it all works together and the more knowledge you have packed away in your bank the more you can apply it to different situations and uh surrounding myself with true hunters not just guys who can go kill something but dudes who are straight gangsters like have forgotten more than most people know those are the people that i want to spend time with rub shoulders with and pick their brain yeah yeah no i totally hear you, robert and i think there's I think there's a, and, and give me, tell me if you, you have a different opinion, but I also think it's just a, there's a practical component of it is like, we can't only hunt deer season or we can't only hunt elk season or our exposure over our lifetime is really limited. You know, I, I mean, of course somebody can do that, but if they really want to, you know, become more proficient at a whole skill set in the outdoors, they have to kind of look beyond just, you know, one species or one very uh, specific thing, just from a, an exposure perspective. You know what I mean? I, um, be, I think you'd be shocked how many people are very monodimensional. Like they hunt one thing, maybe two. And maybe out West it's different. I know a bunch of people that are very monodimensional. They're friggin' really, really, really good at what they do, but they don't do a lot of different things. They just are really hyper focused on archery hunting for whitetails, or you know what I mean, or different yeah, they get, fishing. They get techniques. really, they get really good at that. Super good, you know, and and then typically you'll that that same guy will be like hyper focused on turkey hunting in the spring. And, you know, no, not, I'm not knocking them at all because, I mean, I could rattle off some names right now that are dudes who are amazing hunters, but they don't have any interest in hunting anything else or trapping anything else, or it's just, that's what they do. That's who they are. That's what they do. And they, they're proficient at it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and, you know, I, I know a lot of individual individuals that way too. And it may, it may be that I'm looking at it from like my own personality perspective. I just can't imagine only doing one. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is, Robert. A hundred percent. And, and I'm the same way. Like to me, people, my number one question is, what do you like more hunting or fishing? I'm like I'm both absolutely equal. One makes me better at the other. You know, if, if you ask me like uh mid summer, I'm starting to think about all I can think about is opening day of lobster season, mini season for lobsters. The very second I get done catching those lobsters, ask me the exact same question. And I'll tell you, all I can think about is August 15th, opening day of gator season. Yeah. As soon as that gets done, as soon as I get done with that, I'm thinking about, you know, whether it's early season hunting whitetails and green beans in like Kentucky or something, or, if I have the opportunity to go out and elk hunt out west, and then you're starting to look at everything you're going to do in the fall uh, during the rut. Like right now, we leave on Wednesday, and we're going to drive all over the country and go on some pretty stellar hunts. And uh, this variety is the spice of my life. I personally can't do the same thing over and over and over and over again. And just become super focused on that. I, I lose my passion for it. Doing everything just makes me enjoy all of it that much more. And that's the great thing about being an individual. You can do what you individually enjoy. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And that and then that's reflected in the content on your on your YouTube channel. And you know, to dig in that a little bit uh deeper, Robert, is is I think I have a I've heard your background a little bit. It sounds like you were a captain for a while um, and you you worked in the outdoors industry, correct? Correct. And yeah. so, so uh, I was, go ahead. I was a captain for a family for a long time and we fished all over creation. I was also a host 
an underwater cameraman on a show called Real Adventures, where we traveled all over the world, big game fishing. And then I had my own TV show called Respect Outdoors on Sportsman Channel for a few seasons or a few years. And uh, that was pretty cool. But along the way, you meet these really rad guys that say some say something to you that at the at the time, you're like, what? In your head, you're trying to figure out what they just said, and are they messing with you, or are they being serious? For example, whenever we were in Costa Rica fishing, and I was the captain working for the family, anytime I wasn't taking our family fishing, either the family that I worked for, or if we if I didn't have guests on the boat, I would always go mate on another boat or shoot camera work for that other boat. And one day I was on uh on a boat with Dave Nolan called the Double Trouble. And jump on the boat and I'm like, Dave, where are you gonna start out today? He said, I don't know. I'm gonna go around the rock and just uh figure it out on the way out. I'm like, you can't be serious because me as a young captain, I'm like 28, 29 years old at the time. Every single day I had a plan of exactly where I was going and exactly what I was going to do. Well, here I am with this legend, Dave Nolan, and he's like, yep, we're going to round that rock and figure it out as we go. And as we're running out, about halfway to the spot, he's like, looks like a good spot right here. Pulls him back. Next thing you know, we're tight. We've got three or four sailfish on, and we make an amazing day. We only run half the distance that I would have ran. But what what I learned was he didn't have a preconceived notion of what needed to happen. He was open-minded and used his eyes and not what he thought. And all of a sudden, he was open to what he saw. Oh, look at that big break right there. You know, look at all this logs floating. Like, it looks beautiful right here. Why am I going to run to where all the other 35 boats are running to? He stops half the distance and crushes the fleet. Later that night, I couldn't sleep. I could not sleep thinking, wow, I thought he was joking. But he wasn't joking. He was being serious. So from then till now, I try to never make a preconceived notion of exactly where I'm going. I try to say, hey, this is what I want to accomplish, and I believe to do that, we need to be in this area, but I'm going to freaking pay as close attention as I can all the way so that if I see something, I'm not pot committed to go to where, oh, I've already made up my mind I'm going to. And and I do that with deer hunting now as well. I do that with everything. I did, I did that with a show uh, we filmed in Louisiana a couple years ago. I hop on the boat with the guy. He tells me it's going to be an hour and a half run. We're like 10 minutes from the lodge. I'm like, well, why don't we try them birds right over there? He's like, no, them birds aren't on anything. I'm like, right. But it's perfect condition. Let me make a couple casts. If we don't catch them, that's going to add to the story. First cast, bow. Second cast, bow. Literally 20 minutes later, we've filled the boat. We've limited out on trout. We've caught three or four big bull reds. And I looked at him. I'm like, go back to the lodge. We're done, man. All we got to do now is go clean it and make some make make lunch and we're done. He's like, there's no way. I'm like, I'm telling you, we've got more footage than we could possibly do. We ran 10, 10 minutes from the lodge. But instead of running past something, we just stopped and gave it a try. And uh, and we do the same thing with hunting. You know, sometimes you're like, I know I've got to walk four miles in, but like, 400 yards in, you see something, you're like, hmm, if I saw that where I believe I needed to go, I would hunt that. But because it's not as far in as I believe I need to be to be successful, I'm not going to worry about that. But maybe you and every other person thought the exact same thing and you all walked four miles past what has a lot of really cool opportunities. And uh, me being a flatlander, that's uh, that's always a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, Robert, like you, you hit on a concept that I, for years, is like it's so evident in all of the hunting hunting that I did uh, over the last decade, and all that guiding. It applies so heavily. And I I actually think that in in a lot of ways, 
it's gotten a little bit more intense because you know with youtube all the different tools that are that are hunter has to go out west they can they can like micromanage their plan down to you know i'm going to this exact pinpoint on my map i'm going up this exact trail like they can they can kind of i mean planning is a good thing but they can micromanage that plan to every little nitty-gritty thing and then I notice exactly what you're talking about. There's not a, there's not a kind of a, a flexibility as they get into their trip to adjust. And I, and, and I think that that, that you pinpointed a skill set that people can develop is like, look, like our, our brains as hunters and, and fishermen, it's like a supercomputer. So take all those variables in as you, as you start on your plan and adjust, if it makes sense. 100%, man. I think so many people spend so much time planning and coming up with this concept, which, ha you know, that's great. Hey, that's, that's awesome. But many people don't spend near enough time on the range with their rifle or their bow shooting from a variety of different positions, a variety of different ranges, a variety of different uh, clothing. Are you, are you dressed super warm? Are you dressed super light? I mean, prepared to the to the help for to make that shot because it, when, if it, when it all boils down whether or not you can make the shot and make it count that's truly truly the the the, the difference and you can do all the scouting and all the planning you want but if you don't make the shot then you kind of got the cart before the horse so I try to spend as much time as I can shooting and um, being proficient with what I'm going to shoot. Although I did wound a hog a couple of days ago. Let's not go, you know, I'm not trying sure. to preach somebody. Cause everyone can, can make a stupid shot. And that was on me and it's on video and I showed it on video and uh, it's kind of embarrassing, but uh, neither here nor there. I try to be honest and truthful. So, yeah, no, I, I hear you. And, you know, a, a question popped up in my head, and this might be like a little, a little philosophical, but it's, I'm curious, uh, Robert, when, um, when I watch your channel um, and I see you have this massive viewership, what's interesting to me is I think probably, you know, just statistically, probably two thirds of the people that consistently watch your channel and just love watching the adventures um, that, that you get to go on. They probably they they may go fishing once a year. They may never go fishing or hunting. Um, what why do you do you have an idea of why you know what stops people from taking the leap into doing these these activities? Because I look at you have such a huge audience, and I can tell by how many views your videos get. Like your audience watches your channel consistently. It's not like you have three million followers and and then your videos have. 5,000 views. I mean, people are, are watching consistently watching your, your channel. What, what I, and I know a certain segment of them are not engaging in the outdoors. Do you have a, do you have a thought on that? Like what would, what would get people to take the leap? That's such an awesome question. And that's such a fascinating topic. Imagine, imagine you, imagine you're just some fella got your boy or your daughter or maybe it's just you and you want to get into the outdoors but you never had a dad or a grandpa or anybody to show you do you feel comfortable walking into bass pro shops walking up to the counter and saying look fellas i know nothing i don't know anything but i'd kind of like to learn no one does that right. this world that we've been is so friggin intimidating you, no one does that. Okay, so then what do they do? A, in my opinion, they go to YouTube. Then they find different influencers that they connect with. And they start watching. Some of them are going to be like empowered and say, he can do that. And he's given me the inspiration that I too can do that. And some of them try it. Some of them are successful. Some of them are unsuccessful. But then you have some people, which are the people you're talking about, who are, who are intrigued by this. But I believe in my heart, 
they just find the satisfaction of watching it. Where they say, you know what? I would like to do that, but I think I'm good just watching. I think I'm just good watching it. And I want, whenever I make my videos, I want to give people the tools to feel empowered to try to do this. I'm not, I'm not a really uh, hyper detailed guy where I'm saying, okay, part A, this is what you want to do. Part B, this is what you want to do. I make a video and I give just enough detail and instructions so that people understand what I'm doing, but I'm not doing a how-to video on them to how to do it. I'm, you understand what I'm saying? It's like, oh, yeah, no, I know exactly, Robert, because because I've yeah. I've like stalked your videos and and you have a skill like it's a I don't know if it's natural to you or not, but the exact dynamic you're talking about is is very apparent in your videos like in in and tell me if i'm wrong but it looks like early on you you did more you did some more like how to stuff and then you've migrated where it, it appears to me that there's lots there's tons of knowledge you put in there but it's easy to absorb for anybody that's that's my real goal your people in my opinion you know i actually i i have friends that you Based upon my my depth of work making YouTube videos, I've developed uh, friends that work for YouTube. Sure. And uh, it, it, it's funny, we have this discussion how YouTube used to be a highly instructional platform. People went to YouTube specifically to learn things. And to a degree, they still do. But YouTube has become more of an entertainment platform than an instructional platform where previously it was more of an instructional platform with a component of entertainment that's completely flip-flop now now it's an entertainment platform so i have to make an entertaining video which is what i want to do in the first place sure. but i throw in education into there i always try to have three components i want to have an overall entertaining feel it has to have an educational aspect and it has to have a, a comedy aspect. I want to I want to at least make one kind of joke or I want to make somebody yeah, smile or giggle at twice in my video. And if, if people can learn a hit, learn a bit, laugh a bit and, and feel entertained for 20 or 30, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, then you've done your job for the day. And if you can do that two, three times a week, then then I feel that you've become useful to somebody, useful to that certain person. And all anybody out there, if you're a social media influencer, stop looking at how many subscribers you have because they're all one. Your subscribers and your followers are just one people. It's just one person. Now you may have a million of them stacked up, but if you look past one, then you've you've gotten out of line. Only one person watches your video at a time. So whenever I'm making a video and whenever I'm talking to the camera and whenever I'm trying to tell a story, I'm telling that story to only one person. And anybody who knows anything about talking, you speak differently to one person than you do to a crowd. So when you're making a video, when you're trying to address somebody, speak to one person. And, and that's, what I do, and that's why I appreciate so much each and every subscriber that I have. The people that enjoy my channel and really follow along and are so respectful and happy. That's why I say, "What's up, happy people?" Yeah, yeah, you know, sure. No, no, I, I totally, I, I, I see where you're coming from, Robert, and it comes through. It for sure comes through, you know, in in your in your videos, and uh, you know, it. It's stunning to me, you know, watching like what what you just said, like uh, you do that two or three times a week. And, you know, I I have a small YouTube channel, nothing even relatively close to the size of yours. But I am like doing them. I, I don't I think it's hard if you if you're not a, if you haven't created content to realize that that's a lot, man. Like it's stunning to me that you're you're capable of doing that. I know you have a family. I know you have other things uh, going on. And I just mean like the just the capacity of the day. I mean, it sounds like you do your own editing. Um, it looks like, uh, uh, and tell me if any of this is, is wrong, Robert, but it looks like you have some cameraman help 
but looks like even you do a bit of your own self-filming still. Um, how do you, like, what's the, what's the workflow? I, I think it might be, I mean, it's for sure interesting to me uh, just selfishly, but I'm, I think some of the listeners might be interested in that too. Yeah. So that's cool that you ask. I've got two full-time guys that, that work for me and I try to have, so I try to look at life as a wheel, as a wheel and that wheel needs to be round. You need to incorporate uh, time for God, time for your family, time for your wife, time for your kids, time for uh, work, and time to sleep. And if you, if any of those start taking up too much time, the wheel sort of gets out of balance and you're running rough. And as a man, you know, gosh, I want to work all the time because I feel like things are really good and I want to just dump all my time into that. Well, if all of your time goes into that, then then it gets out of balance and you're riding rough. And so how therefore having two really good guys work for me helps out a ton. Now I, I actually had an editor for about a year and I felt that by the time he would cut a show, then I would go in and I, I would start for two or three or four hours, I would start manipulating his show to fit my narrative i'm like well dang <laughs> i could have done this myself and so editing for me is how i tell my story and it's very hard for you like let's just say you called me on the phone and told me this amazing story that's very easy to follow and then i had the call Jay, hey, Jay Scott, man, look, let me tell you this story. And <laughs> I repeat the story you told me. There's no way I repeat it properly. And that's kind of how editing is. That's someone else taking the story that we explained to them and then them editing it into what actually happened. And I just don't feel that it's authentic and I don't feel that it works for me. So I love to edit. And some days it's easy, some days it's hard. Right now I'm doing a really complicated video that makes me want to hire another editor. But, <laughs> you know, it's that's what, life isn't easy. Life is hard. Sure. But like yep. that professional speaker Les Brown always says, hey, life is hard. And when it's hard, do it hard. And yeah, I yeah. always think of that. You're in a, when you're in a bind and you're just bogged down. You're like, life's hard. Do it hard. And and there's no there's no secret recipe for hard work. It's simply hard work. Getting with it, getting down, getting it done. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, and that and that kind of follows on to my next question, Robert. And it reflects more on like your your history as somebody who is actually, you know, out, you know, as a captain, you know, or you know, um, actually taking people fishing, basically enjoying the the ocean in, in that regard when you're working for that family and then migrating to this content create, creation around the outdoors. Um, I guess my basic question is, which one did you enjoy more? Do you have nostalgia for for just having to worry about the, the practical aspects of taking people fishing? Is there things you miss about that? Or do you view this new world of you know, outdoor content is, is much, uh, I guess, much more enjoyable to you. I just, I'm just curious. I love being a content creator. I love making YouTube videos. I enjoyed my time as a captain, but all of us go through a maturation part process in life based upon our experiences. Um, as a captain, you travel a lot. Um, you're, you're beholden to another family's schedule and and the the things that I learned along the way. Now, granted, I worked for a really cool family that let me do tons of cool stuff, but you're still beholden to them and their their schedule. Now, remember whenever I was a young captain running down to the Southern Bahamas and all over creation, and I just remember thinking, "There's no way I get paid to do this," and I took so much pride in my job, but. As I've matured, now I'm a, you know, I've 
married. I have two beautiful little girls, Aria and Emma. They're five and six years old. Sarah and I have been married for eight years. And I'm like, there's no way I could be a captain right now. There's just no way. I love what I do. But I take the experiences that I learned as a captain and morph that and turn that into the way that I deal with my guys so that they have plenty of time to go away so that whenever they're on trips with me, there's no trip that my camera guys ever go on that they're not heavily involved with the hunting and the fishing. So sure. we that's that's just a big part of, of working with me. I could really care less who shoots the animal or who catches the fish. I want to tell the story. Yeah. And um having my, my crew feel like they belong and that they're a absolute integral part of everything that's going on is massively important to me. Yeah, no, I hear you. And and it's it's amazing to hear you talk about it, Robert, because telling the story, like that's like being a storyteller in this stuff is that's the hardest part, like by a mile. Yeah, and I think I think I mean I even, you know, I've dip my toe in this a little bit and from my perspective and you know could be unique to me but that seems to be like the most difficult thing to develop is to be a good storyteller and you've you've nailed it and i think that's obviously reflected in your channel and that's why me and my kids man me and my kids will sit down and watch an episode of your show like every every few days and what's crazy robert is like so i've got um a 10 year old daughter an eight year old daughter and a five-year-old boy and they will watch it with me. They enjoy it. Um, and then I, I enjoy it as a, as a adult. Um, and I don't know, I, I'm imagining that you, that wasn't your purpose to be totally broad appealing to everybody, but, but you are, do you have any, do you have any thoughts on that? I guess a little context for me is my kids, Robert, like since they were big, I mean, I have pictures of my little daughter's you know, uh, you know, holding up bull elk and stuff when they were like, you know, three years old, four, they've been around the whole time, like they're sitting on pack mules or, or whatever. They've been around it their whole life and they, and they don't show like a really, um, you know, like a robust interest. And it's just something that they've always been around, but it's weird with your show. Right. They're like, with your show, they're like, let's watch deer me for dinner. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Cause like, they're excited about it. <laughs> so what, I mean, what are your thoughts on that, man? Um, <laughs> you're gonna have to edit. You're gonna have to edit this part because I forgot your original question. I was so no, no, no. I, 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 uh, I got well, it. I, 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 I went into five different questions. So it's, uh, it's not your. Fault. Well, no, I was, I was thinking of so many things there, and I know, I know where, I know what you were asking. Now, I was just, I was, I was coming up with an answer to what you were, what you were saying. <laughs> And I got lost in that, but now I'm. Well, it was, I, yeah, it was three paragraph <laughs> questions. That's what I get. No, but it's no, cool. it's, so, just go for it. Here's here's the answer to this, and I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a, a illustration. I was doing a meet and greet at a at the Harrisburg Out Great American Outdoors show like four years ago, three, four, five years ago, something like that. And there's a line of people coming by to take pictures and say hi and whatnot. And in the line, there were two little, like, five-year-old twin girls. There was, now this is all, like, the next five people in line. I had two five-year-old twin girls, probably a man in his 70s, a football player from Purdue or Rutgers, and two cheerleaders from Mississippi State. This is no joke. And I said, so when the little girls walked up to get a picture, I'm like, are y'all all together? None of those people knew each other. I had a football player, two cheerleaders, a man in his 70s, and two five-year-old twin girls. None of them knew each other. And there's, you know, 100 people behind them. But I remember saying, how on earth? my videos resonate with people such that that cross-section of human beings are willing to walk up here and want to take a picture, not to mention the football player and the two cheerleaders both drove a long way to come there and, and say hi. Like, that was such an incredible honor to me. 
meant so much to me. And I believe, why does that happen? The only thing I can come up with, because I'm not doing it on purpose, the only thing I can come up with is that it's real. And in a world full of fakeness today, people are drawn to being real. And, you know, whether it's an outdoor video or what it may be when they're watching somebody and it's real and it's, you know, just authentic, maybe people enjoy it. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't, I can't answer why it happens, but I definitely know that it does happen and I'm honored to have families sit down and oh, have families sit down and watch my channel. So. Yeah, sure. No, cool. I, I, I hear you, man. I guess, I guess uh, uh, a tag along question. How old are your daughters, Robert? Five and six. What, uh, what, what's, what's like your, this might be a little bit of a personal question, but what's your approach to, to the outdoors with them? Uh, are you, what, so, do you, have, you have like a, a timeline and great. how are you get, how are you going to introduce them? So Emma, my five-year-old, she loves tools and building things. So Sarah, my wife is crazy. She can build anything. When we built our home, she was like, she worked here every single day. Anything that has to be put together, Sarah puts it together. And Sarah's also an amazing hunter and loves to fish. Well, Emma is really following in that in that mold. Yesterday, I was out on the porch putting together a lead sled, and Emma wanted to know everything about that. And I'm explaining to her an Allen wrench and how to hold this, hold this wrench, turn this Allen wrench, and she loved it. Aria could care less. Aria just wanted to know what gun we were going to be shooting out of that lead sled. And when the lead sled was done, call her because she would love to be the one to use it. So <laughs> Emma likes to build things. Aria loves to shoot, whether it be her bow or her gun or whatever. Aria loves to shoot. Aria loves to fish. She can snorkel and free dive. I mean, I've had her free diving almost 30 feet by the time she was four. So holding her breath, swimming down 30 feet at four years old. So she's real. But now everyone, you know, I have a lot of friends. God bless them. I absolutely have nothing against this. But their little kids are hunting, shooting deer and hogs and turkeys and whatnot. And that's great. I have made the, I have made the decision. I don't want Aria to shoot anything until she fully understands the difference between life and death and that this animal that we're hunting is food. Now, she's been out on hunts with me and Sarah. Uh, she's, I mean, she blood trails game with us. Uh, she comes back. She helps us clean game. And so she's really worked at, at six years old. She has a breadth, breadth of knowledge. But she just hasn't got there where I feel like, yeah, I'm going to let her take that shot. And I also have another... I have another feeling and another belief. It's called resistance creates desire. So anything that you have freely, you don't really want a lot. Right. There needs to be resistance there. There has to be tension there so that you want it. And whenever I grew up, we had nothing. I mean, we like I look back at the gear that I hunted and fished with. It was garbage. <laughs> but guess what? I loved it. It, I was so proud to have what I had. We worked so hard to use it and to use it to the best of our abilities. Now, here we are where I have tons of really cool sponsors that I have. And no matter what gear I want for the girls, it's, you can have it like, here it is. Sure. And so I manage that. How do I make them realize that this is, this is something you have to work for. And so what we've done is the girls, they have their little cards, their little cash cards, and everything that they do in the house, whether it's make their bed, their homework, reading books, helping with dishes, there's a monetary value on everything that goes onto their card. And then whatever they want, 
they have to know that that monetary, the money that's on their card will pay for that. And so now we're making them buy their own gear so that it's just not given to them. And, uh, you know, kids don't come with manuals. You, you have to figure it out and you, you know, it's like, it's a moving target. You're, You're trying to learn every single day. And, um, Spending time. I think the most valuable thing in the world that I can do with my children and my wife is just spend time with them. Kids don't care what you do with them. Do anything with them. And and they love it. So Yeah, no, I hear you. That's your that's your uh, advice, and I think you got a lot of. I'm I'm a little I'm like uh, uh, lost for words because it, it, my kids are like the same age. I'm like, yeah, these are very very good points, you know. And and I view and I I think about the, I think a lot about it a lot the same, Robert. When I was a kid, like getting the hunting, you know, getting a new jacket or something like that, I used to have to save money for it. You know what I mean? And dude, uh, and I, yeah, but, I would get uh uh. uh Cabela's catalog and I would go through and I would write I would start circling everything and you know they had like that order form in the back like I'm 46 I'm older than you probably but in the back they had the order form so I would write down everything that I wanted and then total it up well I knew that I never had enough money to buy everything that I wanted so then I would start deleting the things that I wanted the least until I reduced the number to what I could actually buy. And and that's how that's how I got yeah, yeah. and then you would open, and then the box would come. You'd be so stoked to open the box and I can still remember the way things would smell coming out of that box. And we're talking over thirty years ago. And and now like with Ari and Emma the other day, Sarah did something so cool. Sarah's my wife, by the way. But the girls both wanted new bikes, and they both had X amount of dollars. So Sarah said, okay, girls, here's the deal. Let's look at the new bikes online. This is what they cost on Amazon or wherever. She said, let's see if we can find these bikes on Marketplace and buy them used. So she found them new, and she found them new or used on Marketplace. Both girls bought their bikes off of Marketplace so that they could save money. Oh, they didn't cool. care that they used. They bought them used so they could save money because they earned that money. Sure. Yeah, no, I uh, I totally hear you. And, and it's great. It takes work to manage that process. It'd be so much easier for, for you guys to just give them the new bikes, right? Um, right. But, uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Your Cabela's story made it made me smile a little bit because you know what I used to do, uh, Robert, is at Christmas I used to go under the tree like Christmas morning, and you can always tell what boxes have shotgun shells in them because they're heavy, you know. <laughs> so I would like pick up the one, and I like I would know before we started opening presents. Like my family, we would we would eat, we my mom had like a specific breakfast she'd make. So we do all that and then we'd open presents. But before we ate breakfast, like I knew exactly how many boxes of shotgun shells were under that tree. Um, Isn't that great? uh, Now, what's the breakfast your mom made? What's that? What's the breakfast that your mom made? Oh, she used to make this, this stuff called monkey bread, which is like cinnamon roll balls that are like cooked into like a circular cake. My gosh, it sounds... It's... Yeah, it's I can like smell it right now in my mind. You know, it's, it's funny how we develop those life, things. That's what life is to me. Life is about this bundle of memories, and it's up to you to make those memories. And the more wonderful memories that you make, the bigger your bundle is, and it's like a big bundle of flowers that smell good and are just epic. And and I'm on this mission in life to make as many memories as I possibly can. And, uh, you know, whenever you hear about you, as soon as you were talking about, well, my mom would make this certain breakfast, instantly, you know, I'm thinking about my mom making deer meat. You know, I'd be out in the woods playing, you know, on the southeast side of our house there as a kid. In the afternoon, when I, you know, we have a predominantly southeast wind. And uh, 
actually I would have been on the northwest side of our house. The wind would be coming out of the southeast. And anytime I'd smell deer meat, she didn't have to call my name because as soon as I smelled that fried deer meat, I was going home because that's my favorite thing in the world to eat. And uh, which is funny because deer meat for dinner is the name of my channel now. And so I love memories. I love those things that, that mold us into who we are. Yeah, no, I, I totally hear you, Robert. And uh, Robert, I want to be respectful of your time here. You got, you got, uh, you got time for one more question. Yeah, man, I'm sitting at the, I'm sitting at the counter enjoying my conversation with you. I hope all the viewers out there just enjoying this conversation. I've never met you in person. You've never met me in person. So just having a conversation like this, I enjoy this. And so, yeah, man. Shoot away. Yeah, for sure. And you know, in in the before I ask this question, it's very interesting. This this social media deal and and the amount of content that someone like you you puts out, it creates a, a an interesting dynamic. And I've noted noticed this in a microcosm in my world from doing these podcasts and just over the years having some content around you know whatever magazine articles or whatever about you know guiding trips or whatever I've done over the years is people. People who you don't know tend to know you pretty well. Like honestly, Robert, in my little brain, I know you really well. You know what I mean? I know <laughs> I know what your wife looks like, your kids look like. I know where you live. It's it's kind of yeah. it's it's really kind of odd. And I'm sure, given the huge audience you have, you run into that a, a, a bit. Is like, oh, these people like really know they they know me. I just don't know them yet. I guess is the the idea. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I'm a really low-key, chill guy. I don't hang around with a lot of people. I'm super into my family. I'm really easy to get along with, but I do have this crazy Tom Brady side of me Like when at critical moments. And that's why I'm a huge Tom Brady fan is because I just love that freaking ferocious side that he has at critical moments. And... Um, you know, here here recently, I had a, a issue with a youngster on, you know, on my ranch where things weren't going proper, and he knew they weren't going proper, and and I had to lay into him pretty bad, and uh, it got pretty ugly. And and you know, people people like you know, no one knows that side about you. I'm like, yeah, well, you know what? They don't, but they would probably understand it if they heard me, if they yeah. knew the situation. So, care. I don't care. I don't care that someone doesn't know that, you know, right. I'm dealing with the situation here and um, I'm, I'm serious about life and I'm serious about what I do and I would do anything for somebody. I just really, once you've earned respect, you, you should demand the respect and you should demand things. Uh, thank God, demand such a bad word. It's not the word I'm looking for. Yeah, but yeah no, I, 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 I get where you're coming from. You have to stand up for yourself and you have to stand rock solid on what you believe in. And um, being a content creator, my little brother, he's uh, got a channel as well. His name's Blue Gabe. I was talking to him the other day. and He was like, well, my audience, you know, I was getting a content a comment saying this and a comment saying that, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Gabe, your audience doesn't actually know you. They know what yeah. you tell them. They know what you show them. Now, granted, over a decade, your audience has a pretty good feel for who you are and what you're doing. But my rule of thumb is take the top 20% and the bottom 20% of all your comments and read them with a grain of salt. Yeah. You sure. want to see, you want to see what the overall gist of your comments are. And in with my with my channel, for example, the number one thing that I hear is, man, thank you so much for making content that my family can enjoy. Thank you for making content that we can all enjoy as a family. And that's what I really lean into is just continuing to make content for the families that are looking for something real and want to enjoy the outdoors and some things they can do. Some things they're watching strictly for entertainment pur- purposes, and um, I, I just try my best to to be as real as I can, so that when people like you, when you watch my channel, you say, "I know that guy. 
well, this really truly is me. But sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it, it, I totally hear where you're coming from. It's, you know, there's, uh, yeah, I know you, but I don't, I, I know the aspect of you that, that you, that's on the the videos the the energy and excitement for the for the out outdoors and you you portray that i guess what i was really to get at is you know who i am my audience knows exactly who i am and i think everybody should know that nobody's perfect you know what i mean nobody's perfect world um have things that they're proud of and they have things that they wish they could do over with again. And, you know, I've met, there's been times where I'm running so behind and like, I'm just crazy. I'm trying to get something done because I've got to be somewhere. And then you go into a store and next thing you know, you've got seven fans that, that want to say hi. And I'm, I love that. Like, I love when fans say, Hey, and I always, I'll sit around for an hour. And just shoot the breeze with them. But it's yeah. that one out of a hundred times where you're like, guys, man, let's take a picture as fast as possible. Cause I, I can't yeah, be here long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And I hope I didn't rub that guy the wrong way. I hope I, I, I hope I didn't come across as disrespectful to them because I really do appreciate people. I appreciate the, the, the people who enjoy watching my video very, very much. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I think that comes across, uh, Robert, like even you just discussing it, I can tell you, I can tell you have like a intrinsic concern about that, but you have to, you have to live, live your life, you know, in my way, 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 way lower exposure to it. Um, I'm actually very, like a very introverted individual. Like if somebody sees me at a hunting show or something, I think they're always like, oh, this guy's a weirdo. It's like, no, I just, I don't, I don't personally get like a t I, I don't think I don't get a ton of like if I run into people like I'll have a you know I I really enjoy talking to, to hunters. Yeah. On a, on a, you know, on a, on a, go ahead. Do you know Bo Brooks? I don't. Bo, he's like a world champion elk collar and turkey collar. And I was introduced to him at a at a hunting show one time and I didn't know who he was. And so I'm like in the midst of talking to like a hundred people and he just looked like this quiet dude, you know, and in Austin, one of my camera guys, he's like, Rob, that's like the best turkey and elk collar in the world. I'm like, come on, Austin, <laughs> there's no such thing. And all of a sudden this guy starts making cow calls and elk calls and turkey calls. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, so yeah. when you're at a door show, you never know who you're going to meet. And the best hunters in the world are people who thrive in complete solidarity. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, you, you, some, some of them, you've taken, taken them way out of their natural habitat when they're walking around some sort of trade show or something. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, no, I, okay. I totally, totally hear you. It's kind of, kind of a funny, it's been, funny world. It's been phenomenal chat with you you seem like just a fantastic guy um we're going to be heading out to colorado over thanksgiving i'm taking sarah on an elk and mule deer hunt it's a rifle hunt and uh really excited about that she's wanted to kill an elk for a long long time and uh i felt like a rifle hunt would be her best opportunity to do that so we're gonna what, do it and, what uh, uh what oh, general region of colorado robert no three Okay, gotcha. And, she, and, you, and you guys are elk hunting and deer hunting, or just elk hunting? Yeah, elk and deer. We both have mule deer tags, and or we both have deer tags and elk tags. Awesome. I, I'm I'm so, guessing that some videos will come out of it. Oh, bro, for <laughs> sure, man. And to me, I can't. Sarah gets so fired up. She's wanted to elk hunt forever. This will be her first time, and uh, she's got her gone already she's shooting a seven millimeter magnum and she's just ready she can't wait neither yeah. time that's uh that's awesome one question on that and yeah. then i'm gonna let you go robert on hunts like that or hunts in general do you ever i want to hear the honest your honest perception do you ever want to just leave the camera and, and your microphone and all that in the truck or do you get more value from 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 uh you know doing the video stuff no, 100% film. 
I, I enjoy filming. Now, like yesterday, I guided a couple fellas on my ranch. They were out. I cooked dinner for a bunch of people out on my ranch yesterday. And this one fella, he's 72 years old. He wanted to go on a hog hunt. And I told him, I said, look, man, we're going to have to do this really crazy stalk through a sawgrass marsh up into these oaks. And we're going to work for, you know, a mile or two into the wind through these oaks. But it's going to be thick and it's going to be crazy. And he's like, man, I'd love to do that. And so I didn't bring any cameras, nothing. I just wanted to spend 100% of that time with that guy. And uh, we got really, really close to this big old doe, white-tailed deer. But we didn't see any hogs. But he and I had a great time just working into the wind, watching the squirrels. You know, I, I sat down. I'm like, let's just sit down right here for 10 minutes and see what we hear. And this doe comes walking in across the wind. She couldn't smell us. She walked within like four steps of us. And he's just laying on the ground there. And this deer walks right by us. So epic. So we didn't kill anything at all. We didn't even see a wild hog. But it was such a wonderful time. No cameras, no nothing. And that was wonderful. But if I'm going to go on a hunt or if I'm going to go on a hunt with Sarah, I absolutely want to film it. Just because. But, like, if something epic happened and I didn't have it on video, I would be like, what is wrong with me? Like, yeah. I love to love capturing stuff on film. And anytime you're filming a hunt, man, it multiplies the difficulty by at least two or three times. Yeah. Dude, in my it, opinion. Yeah, you nailed it, Robert. It, it's been – people ask me over the years, and I like and I like doing the content stuff, and I love videoing stuff, but – People have asked me like, man, do you like what do you got for old videos and stuff? And it's like, man, it's it's so difficult. It's almost it's almost like a different weapon choice, right? It's like from going from you know muzzle loader to archery equipment. That to me, that's that's how filming a, a hunt is. It's like it's literally the difficulty added is like it's like a weapon downgrade. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hundred percent. Well, think about this. You know, whenever you're filming automatically you're making twice the amount of noise you're putting out twice the amount of scent you've got to take up twice the amount of room because you've got two people and then most people so if you're there you've got your bow you've got your gun and there's your shooter buff or big bull the second the opportunity arises let the arrow go and you don't have to, when you're filming a, everything is doubled, but then you have to worry making sure that your camera guy is in the right position so that you can shoot it and he can film everything all simultaneously. It it, it is really stinking hard, oh, but yeah. it may it gives you this element of really cool satisfaction when it all comes together. Like when we were out in the the Northern Mariana Islands on a giant sandbar deer hunt. Like this is probably the most special hunt of my life. There are these little flimsy trees that there was really no way to get into. But if you wanted to see, you had to get into these little trees. I'll actually, whenever we get off, when we get off the podcast, I'll send you a link to this video. Okay. It's one of my favorite videos of all time. But so I knew I got to make some kind of sling. So I ran into town. I got some rope, I took a couple towels, and I tied these towels into slings and made like a trapeze that we could sit in this tree, and I wound up killing like just the biggest sandbar deer I've ever seen in my whole life that afternoon, and that's that's hunting, you know? That's figuring out an obstacle, overcoming, and being prepared to make a good shot, and it all working together, and we got it all on video, and it was just one of those absolute perfect scenarios. Yeah, man, I think you, I think you nailed it in terms of how to frame that filming. And I'm sure there's tons of listeners to this podcast that enjoy filming their own hunts. You know, not maybe not even for distribution to, to distribute on YouTube or whatever, maybe just to have. And I think you know one of the challenges for me, Robert, is I've tied it, I've changed my mindset about it. It's not an inconvenience; it's another challenge. Because if you view it as an inconvenience, mm -hmm you're always going to 
you know, like, I mean, I have an Oryx hunt I did and I have it all on video, but I don't have, uh, you know, harvesting the Oryx on video just because at that time I thought it was an inconvenience. It's like, guys, I just, we, we need to, you know, I just want to harvest the animal. I want to get killed the animal real quick here. And if we get the camera out, we're going to screw it up. And it's like, I shouldn't have viewed it that way. I should have viewed it as a challenge. Like, no, let's adjust. If we got to do change the stock up or whatever, get the camera out, you know, in anyways, it's for me personally, it's like, if I view it as a challenge, I'll do it. If I view it as an inconvenience, I don't, it, it, it doesn't work, you know. You're a million percent. It's all perception. And um, I think you nailed it, man. But here's the deal. Uh, after hunting season, let's get back on the horn, shoot the breeze. And uh, I want to hear about your season. I'll let you know how the elk hunt went. And uh, cool. maybe you should explore it. And I take you and show you a little bit of this East Coast love. No, I would be all, I would be all over it, man. You don't, you, you're, don't invite me, dude. Cause I'll show up like tomorrow. So but it, <laughs> like, don't ask me to do something because I will in fact do it. So let's keep in touch, man. Uh, I want to thank all the authors out there. Thank you guys so much for, for putting up with us. I don't, we've probably been on the phone for about an hour or two and uh, yeah. it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Jay Scott and his crew, they, they're the they're the leaders in this whole outdoor podcast game, and uh, you always have wonderful guests on that have cool perspectives and uh, are leaders at what they do. So I want to tell you personally, thank you so much for for taking the time to chat with me. Everybody who took the time to listen, thank you guys so much. Uh, it means the world to me, and I appreciate y'all very much. Cool, thanks, Robert, and everybody can get on there and follow you at Deer Meat for Dinner on on YouTube. It's not not hard to find. But anyways, thanks a ton, hey. Robert. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot, man. We go. Yeah. All right, guys. So thanks for listening. I really had a good time with that episode with Robert. He's a great guy. Go check him out on his YouTube channel. Tons of good adventures on there. If you want to keep in touch with me, check out my YouTube channel. It's just Cliff Gray on YouTube. You can just stick it in the search bar there, or you can just go to youtube.com backslash Cliff Gray. You can also get on my newsletter at pursuitwithcliff.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram at C-L-I-F-F-G-R-Y. Thanks, guys.